You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Luca. Wow, Luca. That was hard to watch. You, uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. Air! <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Lucky today. Hmm? Hey, leave them alone. Hop on. Go start the club for losers. My name is Giulia Marcovaldo. We underdogs have to look out for each other. What's under the dogs? <laughs> this is my dad. Why do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims. a chance to try. <laughs> Something's fishy with you two. Ooh. This is too dangerous. Lucius! <laughs> I know your problem. You got a Bruno in your head. A Bruno? Say, Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Louder. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Can you still hear him? Nope, just you. Good. Now hang on. You do it now. Just say the thing. What's wrong with you, stupido? <gasps> All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Luca, and the story is as follows. Set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera, the original animated feature is a coming-of-age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and un- endless scooter rides. Luca shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He is a sea monster from another world just below the water's surface. The film is starring Jacob Tremblay, Jack Dylan Grazier, Emma Berman, Marco Barrichelli, Saverio Raimondo, Maya Rudolph, and Jim Gaffigan. It is directed by Enrico Casarosa, and it is written by Jesse Andrews and Mike Jones. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Emma Sasek. Hi, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Zach Gilbert. Hey. All right, everyone. So we are talking about another entry into the Pixar filmography. Uh, This is one that is currently and really, unfortunately, not playing in theaters. It is a Disney Plus exclusive. Take that for what you will, because then many people can enjoy it right now in the comfort of their own homes. Uh, But Luca is an interesting film in the way that it's being discussed right now for a variety of different reasons. And I, for one, am very, very excited to dig a little deeper into what this film is ultimately trying to say and what it's all about. Uh, We will have no Silencio Brunos happening here. Uh, Unfiltered thoughts only. (laughs) So (laughs) 
I'm very, very excited to hear from all of you. Why don't we first start off with Zach Gilbert? So I have been looking forward to this one for quite some time, not only because it totally looks like Pixar's Call Me By Your Name from the first trailer, a movie which I hold near and dear, um, but I just thought the animation style was so unique. It's really different from Pixar's usual house style, you know, the one we see just repeated kind of over and over, which is great, but this was definitely a more subversive way kind of of telling their story. And I just fell head over heels for this movie, like, within the first five minutes. I thought Luca himself was so cute and charming. I thought his friendship with Alberto was just so well-realized. And that Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer did such a good job with their voice acting. And the actual story itself was just really inviting and I think, like, the perfect summer movie. It wasn't too plot-heavy. It was really focused on the characters and their emotions, which is something I actually really tend to like in movies. And I definitely think the subtext, whether you choose to read into it in a number of ways about minority communities or outsiders, was really rich. And that's something that I think will stick with me for a long time. Yeah, definitely more commentary to come on that in just a minute here. Emma Sasek, how about you? Uh, Zach, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, but um, I too was <laughs> really looking forward to this film ever since the first trailer was dropped, mainly just because like the trailer did not really uh, share a whole lot. You just kind of got those call me by your name vibes from it slash like dream Italian summer vacation um, vibes too. So I was totally into it. The second trailer dropped and I was like, Oh, that's cute. Little sea monsters did not see that coming. Um, and then I also did not expect the movie that we got. I feel like it, totally brought me on a whole different journey than I originally thought it would be on with the little race and the cup that they're trying to win. I didn't see that coming. Um, I thought the, I think that it is so visually stunning. Like the pasta just <laughs> makes me want to come up to my TV and like lick it and eat it and try to take it from them. The water is this enticing blue, green, gorgeous Mediterranean color. Um, just everything about the movie is stunning and gorgeous. Um, I think the, the friendship between the two of them is also very cute and real. You kind of have the highs of the friendship, the little lows of the friendship as well. Um, I feel like it's one that a lot of kids in that age might be able to relate to when, you know, you start meeting new people and, uh, a new person joins the group and then like the dynamics are all shifted and changed. Um, I feel like the message at the end uh, that you take away from the movie about, you know, just acceptance and being who you are and true to who you are. I think all of that is beautiful for whoever is watching the movie. Um, I kind I still kind of, I don't know. Maybe the race kind of took a little away from me from like being fully into the storyline. The more emotional moments and the touching moments are the ones where I felt like I was full into the story. Um, other parts of it kind of took me a little bit away from it, but I still think it's a great summer movie, as Zach said. Um, it's just the best it's the highlight reel of italy and why you should go to italy so i'm booking a flight to italy as soon as i can <laughs> hey you know venice film festival is right around the corner right now so i would not be opposed josh parm what about yourself so i think i might actually be a little cooler on this movie than some other people i will say i think it's good 
Like, it's a Pixar movie, and they rarely make bad movies. And I definitely agree that, like, the sentiment and the tone of this movie is very sweet and inviting. It's a very, like, kind of cute movie to me. And I definitely enjoyed watching it. I think the element that I recognize about this movie, though, at least for me, is that it seems to be aimed a little bit towards much younger audiences in terms of its storytelling and the nuance in its storytelling. And I wouldn't necessarily say that that's like a bad thing. Not every movie that Pixar makes has to be this, you know, exploration of existential crises. You know, I certainly (laughs) agree with that. But I think at the same time, the way that this movie kind of goes about exploring some of its themes did feel a little surface level to me, only so slightly. And I think that kind of took me out of like fully engaging with it as like a more intriguing piece of cinema. But having said that, I still think it's a very good movie. It was very enjoyable. I would recommend it. It's perfect, kind of like nice, light family entertainment. Uh, It just didn't reach like the heights that I normally get from a lot of other Pixar movies. But I still enjoyed it overall, even though personally, I didn't think it was a great film. Yeah, that was kind of my thought process as well when I watched it for the first time. I thought it was very cute, sweet, vibrant, warm, as uh, mentioned before, very inviting. And its themes of individuality, friendship, acceptance were definitely welcome for me. And it made for a very just enjoyable viewing experience. Nothing really inherently wrong. I think that this has become a much more interesting conversation for a couple of different reasons. Uh, One is reading into uh, the subtext of the movie, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the first thing I want to kind of first start off talking about here is how every time there is a new Pixar film that is released, it feels like the bar has just been set so incredibly high due to critical reviews, box office, award success. And as Josh mentioned, you know, they've gone into some pretty heady territory with movies like Inside Out, Soul, Wally, a few others that it seems that we're always doing this uh, comparison um, of, oh, where does this rank for you in terms of Pixar's filmography? Oh, it's totally true. Our, our weekly poll this week was exactly that. Like, what's your favorite Pixar film? <laughs> so we can't help ourselves. We do it. Do we think that that is unfair to Luca, which many people has, have kind of written off as, yeah, it is a good movie, but, you know, it's not as good as X, Y, and Z. And I'm not saying that that's what you're necessarily, like, getting at, Josh, by disregarding this movie, because like you said, it's still good and it still has its merit. I, I just think it opens up, like, a much bigger conversation of can these movies stand on their own versus being compared to some of the... In, some cases, greatest films ever made. Well, I would say that Pixar kind of invites that a little bit just because every single one of their movies is credited as a Pixar film. So, like, their entire filmography never really has identification to, like, a filmmaker or or anything like that. Like, they invite the comparison that all the movies from this one studio kind of should be judged together. But at the same time, like, just because one is to me maybe slightly inferior in terms of storytelling doesn't mean that I think it's you know doesn't have value and the things that have been brought up so far about this movie like with friendship and acceptance like those are all all great and I love to see that in this movie and I think for me the fact that it is delivered in 
a rather simplistic way doesn't it, it just means that I don't find as much engagement on an emotional level for me doesn't mean that I wouldn't recommend it but knowing that this is a studio that can go into some of those territories this is just like yeah it, it's a nice movie you know it doesn't make it worthless but it doesn't mean that I am in love with it either I think it's like just a reminder that this is still a family-friendly studio that caters their films towards children mostly and I feel like we as adults have gotten maybe used to too comfortable whatever you want to call it with movies that feel like they're catering to both and in some cases really skewing heavily towards adults whereas this one I think that it definitely is aimed more at children I feel like in the way that it is animated voice acted uh, the, the simplicity of the story like you said Josh but I, I definitely think that the storytelling is a little bit more profound and deeper than maybe one might actually expect at first, especially on a second viewing for me. But Zach, what do you think about uh, Pixar films, you know, standing on their own? Is that even a possibility? And, you know, do you feel like this movie, uh, even though it's been, you know, like I said, like maybe unfairly compared to some of the films that are like revered as some of the greatest of all time, do you think that that puts it in an unfair position? I think it's definitely fair to compare it to Pixar's past masterworks. I mean, how can you not? Like, it's coming from a studio with such a terrific track record, as you guys were saying. But also, going forward, now that they're, you know, 24 films in, I think it's important, kind of, for them to diversify the scale and scope of their stories. So not every movie is kind of this grand musing on existence or emotion that, like, they've come to be associated with. I like to see stories that kind of stretch the format a bit and don't always have to be so weighty even though this definitely does have that subtext i think it going about it in a more simplistic or straightforward way kind of i don't know makes it feel a bit more original you know they're not trying to do anything huge and massive its aims are a lot smaller but it's still very sincere and i saw i had seen one tweet earlier this week where someone was saying how you know toy story 4 and like soul really really tried to like get you to like completely contemplate everything you've done with your life so far. And we're like really pushing you. Whereas Luca, you know, just kind of washes over you and that for this person that worked better for them. And I would say I had a similar experience. I think that I kind of like it when Pixar isn't trying so hard to really, you know, make me upend my entire life. It's a, it's a new side to them. And I think it actually returns to kind of more simple stories like something like Finding Nemo or Monsters, Inc., where the story was first and the message was second. So I think that this would be a great path for them going forward to make sure that not every movie is a soul or an inside out, you know, this grand, grand message or moral. Yeah, I don't I don't mind it either. And I was also thinking about like Finding Nemo. And when I watched that as a kid and like just genuinely enjoyed seeing talking fish and just silly moments with I I used to have braces when I was uh younger so the little niece in the dentist's chair totally related to her on a spiritual <laughs> level um but yeah it was it's it's kind of nice to get like a lighter film especially because it's you know it's summertime it's summertime in this Italian little coastal village and the kids are just like playing and participating in this little cup and even though maybe it wasn't the thing that I was ultimately expecting just because I'm so used to you know the emotional 
uh, response that I had to Soul or to Inside Out or um, even Coco. Coco was stunning and beautiful and just made you think about life and, you know, what comes after life and all of that. It was kind of, it was different definitely to get something that was just more of two kids having fun, three kids having fun, um, and them trying to keep this little secret and coming up with like a million and one different crazy ways to keep it from getting out into town. Um, so I, I can just imagine like little kids watching this this weekend and just laughing because of all like the spit takes and all that are going on in the movie. And I'm glad that the kids can watch something that they can more enjoy unless they're already having like a crisis at age eight and they don't know what they want to do for the rest of their <laughs> lives and soul really spoke to them <laughs> yeah i i definitely agree with that i think that there is room for all of these different levels of storytelling especially now like you said 24 films in at this point it's healthy for the studio to really target different age ranges i feel like with their storytelling not everything needs to be that profound you know, universal, uh, existential, like a fact of some sort that we have while watching uh, some of their other films that, once again, have been rightfully acclaimed. But I do feel like that, comparatively speaking, this film is starting to suffer a little bit uh, for that comparison. And I just think it's a very interesting conversation to have in that regard. Um, and speaking of interesting conversation, you know, Anthony Mackey uh, said some comments earlier this week regarding uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the friendship between him and uh, his character and Bucky Barnes in that show and how there is a whole legion of fans out there who read into gay subtext uh, between the two characters. And he ultimately just squashed that, said, nope, that's not what's going on here. Heterosexual friendship between two males. That's exactly what it is to me. That's what we shot it as. And you guys are I'm paraphrasing here. He didn't say it, say it like this, but just to boil it down. <laughs> um, and so as a result of which, I feel like the same thing also had happened here with Luca, where we all watched. I remember that first teaser and the Internet just kind of went wild with totally. uh, comparisons to call me by your name to the point that uh, the filmmakers had to step in and say, nope, um, not intentional. Uh, however, I do feel like when you do watch the movie, yes, on the surface level, this is all about friendship, coming of age story. The kids are obviously very young and pre-puberty. So, you know, there's no raging hormones going on here necessarily. <laughs> it's definitely a children's story. However, I do think that for those of us who do like to read into subtext and maybe want to get something more out of it that is beneath the surface, no pun intended. <laughs> I definitely think that that is here. Yeah, I would say I definitely tried to go in with a bit of an open mind and not just see it from that perspective. I was like, okay, I'm going to be open to what the director's, you know, giving me and what he's trying to say with this story. But I think, you know, as soon as Luca and Alberto meet, it, there's just you know, that camaraderie between two people who don't fit in in a certain space and finally find another person who's like them, which is at present so many queer works of art. That's just the theme that's throughout them all. Mm -hmm. And then the, when they go into the town, you know, and they're, you know, forced to hide, obviously, out of risk of disturbing the peace of the community and at risk of, you know, being hunted down for being outsiders and being a wrong way of life, basically. 
Yep. And there's one scene in particular that really stuck with me, which seriously took me by surprise when um, Alberto finally reveals himself later on in the film and Luca doesn't do it with him and points at him. Yeah. Yeah. That was just my stomach dropped. And I. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a heartbreaking scene in many, many ways. It's I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but there were multiple moments in this movie that made me choked up emotionally while watching it. And that was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I definitely know, like maybe I'm imprinting my own experiences on this and stuff, but as somebody, you know, who's struggled with identity and backgrounds when someone else is trying to, you know, coax you out of it and you're not ready, you can do something you regret. And I think that's something that a lot of people, especially in the LGBTQ community can relate to. But I think the most important part about this conversation is that I think it's very um, unfair and kind of cruel even to take what is ultimately a positive, happy and very deep reading of the film for many, many people and to just say, nope, that's not it. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not hurting anyone, why be so mean spirited about it to say that that's not what it is? I would have been fine if they kind of just left it open and like people can you know, people will watch it and they'll read a little bit more into it while others will just take it at the surface level. And I feel like that there's nothing really wrong with that, unless for some reason right. the filmmakers need to address it, which that's part know. of the problem, because this is the Disney machine. Yeah, like they had to. <laughs> uh, they're so, so conscious of their brand. And so they're trying so hard to be this family friendly brand that it's like, mm-hmm. it's uh, when, when are we getting when are we going to get to the point where it's like, uh, gay subtext is something that is just fully accepted and should not be seen as unfamily friendly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would have loved to have seen that with this film. I mean, I and then I I know the Call Me By Your Name comparisons would have been inevitable, but it's like, who cares? Like, I would have loved to have seen that in a Disney Pixar film where it's just, you know, this these two boys having the time of their life in Italy during the summer, like what is so bad about showing that movie? I mean, I do, I do uh, agree with a lot of those points. I just to play devil's advocate, at least in terms of where the director is coming from, I can understand like the filmmakers wanting to say like, no, that's not intentional. We didn't really put that in there because it's not the text they were actually working with. Like I can understand that to a point. And I think, what you can also glean from this type of story is like, there's a lot of different shades to what identity is. You know, I've heard a lot of readings on this movie that relates it to uh, an immigrant experience. The idea of you coming into a completely different culture and being at the risk of persecution. And, you know, that's just as valid as any other reading that you can get from this. And I think that um, that is actually something that can be a positive to kind of this vague subtext. We can kind of be frustrated that it's not said aloud, but it can speak to a lot of different people's own emotional journeys that don't specifically are tailored to this one element. And on that part, I do think that there is some value in it. I, I think also it to me, it limits a little bit the more nuances of the story because if it's sort of so vague that anybody can project themselves into it, I think that the story itself is not quite as strong in terms of its foundation. But I do think that there's value in being able to read a lot of different interpretations into the emotional journeys of these characters. See, I I think filmmakers need to ultimately just stop, you know, just stop coming forward and saying what their work 
ultimately is or is supposed to or how it's supposed to be read. I think it's one thing to say what it means to you, but to say in a very affirmative way, oh, this is what we intended for everybody. Um, I think robs the film of greater conversation or multiple interpretations, like you said there, Josh, where isn't that the thing that makes this fun and makes this uh, ultimately a very rewarding experience for all of us that we can all watch something and have a different uh, interpretation of it, whether that is in the text or how the text translates to us in a personal way. Right. It allows more people to connect to a movie on um, number of different levels and that's all yeah like you said Matt I mean that's ultimately what you want you want to connect to the movies that you're watching and take some of it with you and relate to whatever that might be um, and I'm really glad that you mentioned um, the just all those different identities Josh I feel like that that also you know just it, you, they didn't have to explicitly say it because then everybody could have seen themselves in Luca or Alberto or the bowl of pasta, which I ultimately see myself. <laughs> I think one of the most frustrating things is when people, you know, try to put queer subtext kind of in kids movies is there's always this idea that, you know, queer relationships are inherently sexual or sexualized. And I don't even think that's the case here. It's frustrating. No. that you know, we can't yeah. see something that's just a really strong, emotionally intimate bond between two boys as possibly being queer without people, you know, jumping to these accusations when, you know, boys and girls can like each other in young movies or have, you know, romantically hinged relationships and there's no uproar whatsoever. So I hate that there's, you know, that they have to kind of defend themselves and be like, oh, no, that's definitely not what's going on here because, you know, there will be those people who will, you know, make these claims about Disney or the movie promoting same-sex relationships or whatever when I think it's far more nuanced than that and, I hate that we can't, you know, discuss the subtext without those claims coming up. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I think it just shows you that corporations like uh, Disney have a ways to go still where mm -hmm. it seems like they're, you know, trying. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like they're doing not even what, what is some what is something that is still like below the bare minimum, whatever that uh, <laughs> is. It feels like that that's what they keep doing, where it's like every new Marvel film, Disney film or something. It's like, oh, see, see, we did a thing. See, there's your representation. Yeah. We did that thing. And it's like, come on, stop drawing attention to it and stop trying to pat yourselves on the back and just embrace it. Yeah, that's what they kind of did with like Cruella, right? Like the um, the the fashion character, the one who had yeah. his own shop. Or Brian Tyree Henry's character in the upcoming yes. Eternals film and, you know, Beauty and the Beast and like yeah. there's all all these different examples lately and it's like starting to really get on my nerves where now here we have a movie where it is more subtextual and can be read into and it isn't necessarily Disney saying, oh, look at us, we did a thing. But instead they're turning around and saying, oh, no, 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 it, it, it isn't that thing yeah. at all. <laughs> we did like, something but not that thing that you're thinking of i know yeah the funny thing is that this is probably their best quote-unquote queer representation ever and they don't want to claim it <laughs> right whereas all the other times they're waving a flag like give us a gold star like look what we did and we're like we don't yeah. care we have been yeah. dancing for like 0.2 seconds guys we did it 
Well, I want to talk about some other elements of the movie um, on the surface level here. Uh, the voice acting in this film is very good, I think, at times, and not just from uh, the leads. I think it also comes through in some of the uh, side characters as well. I got to tell you, Jacob Tremblay, I thought, was perfectly cast for this. He still, God bless him, has that tiny kid voice, even though he's obviously many years older than he was when we first all discovered him in Room. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, I think, fits his role really perfectly. But the real standout to me is Emma Berman, who I thought just brought so much energy and excitement and enthusiasm to her uh, performance that she was just such an incredibly likable character for all of us as Julia in this. Santa Mozzarella, I agree. I loved her. Oh, Santa Mozzarella. I love that. I thought she was just so sweet. And the dynamic between the three of them is very cute. Obviously, when um, things change between her and Luca and, you know, Alberto, you can kind of see that there's a little tension with that too um all of that just kind of it reminds me of like when i was a kid and like i would be jealous when one of my friends would have a new friend and they seem more interested in hanging out with them or talking to them like they just get those dynamics and the kid just the kid rivalries that never change this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I also read into it even a step uh, greater than that, even that Alberto's frustration with uh, Julia and Luca's relationship might have been because Alberto was getting increasingly uh, insecure and frustrated that Luca was more or was becoming more free than he was mm -hmm. more liberated, if you will, to explore the human world in ways that Alberto um, had not yet done for himself quite yet. I don't know. Did anyone else like get that kind of a reading? Well, I mean, the character is going through self-doubt that they constantly do bring up within the actual movie. I, I definitely think that is there. And it's one of the reasons why I really do like, Jack Dylan Grazer in that role. Like I like all three of the kids, but he was actually my favorite in terms of the voice performances because 
I think that character, not I don't know why I would necessarily say he has like the most complex of the backstories, but I think it's the one that sort of like is the darkest, as dark as can be in this type of film. And I just really like the way that he approached his vocal performance in this film. Um, there is some things that are kind of missing in the backstory that seem like it would be it, it could give a little bit more nuance to him. Like they introduced something with his father that I don't think is ever really resolved in a substantial way. And it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity, but I think that there's enough there to kind of give some more shading to that character that I really appreciated. And I think uh, Grazer does a really good, good job with it. Yeah, I agree. I really wish that we had gotten more information about what his life beneath the surface was like. Um, and maybe that, like you said, that could have filled in some of the lines there, Josh. I, I definitely don't disagree with that. Um, and I think they could have made him an even stronger character as is, um, his moment with, uh, Luca on the beach. Um, and then of course the, uh, the ending, uh, I, I think that the storytellers did exactly what they set out to do because much like onward, where I was not expecting to have a lump in my throat uh, by the end of that film. Uh, this film snuck up on me and got me in a way that I was just not prepared for. So I got to give credit to the filmmakers where, yeah, it's a little messy and it wasn't exactly maybe as perfect as it could have been, but they still they still stuck the landing. And at the end of the day, I think that that's all that people will remember and why the movie is being so warmly received as it is, because that ending really does uh, let you out on a high note. There's something about saying goodbye at an Italian train station that really does it for me. Like, <laughs> oh, I, see, I, I got comparisons to, oh, my God, when Luca's on the train, I immediately thought of a Harry Potter on the train oh, yeah, waving to everybody. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, like, I cry my eyes out during um, the call me by your name scene when oh, Elio and Oliver say goodbye to each other at the train station and I sure. literally had to like fight myself to this I was like don't do it you cannot cry this is, <laughs> this is not that intense girl but it was just so sweet yes that like those emotional scenes they always get me more and more with like every new Pixar film, any animated film, and it just continues to deliver in this one, the beach scene as well, where you are like just genuinely stunned at what both of them do and how they react in those scenes. Um, but it ends on such a beautiful and fun and exciting, while also like a little, little nervous note, you know, just thinking about everything that uh, Luca is thinking about as he's on his way to his next journey and it has all the feels all the emotions and you know pixar can still do it <laughs> pixar knows what it's doing you know it's also like the secret ingredient uh for that recipe in this movie is i think dan romer's uh score from yes. Yes. uh wendy yeah. and beast of the southern wild uh it, it was interesting because it reminded me a lot of Alexandra uh, Desplat. Mm -hmm. uh, there were times where I was thinking, actually thinking of The Shape of Water, yeah. um, <laughs> funnily enough, while, while watching this. But I, I'm hoping that he gets like some form of recognition for how good I think his work in this film is. But I sadly don't think that he will because I really do think that he is the literally the secret ingredient here that is elevating this movie's emotional aspects and also to some more of that heightened fantasy of wanting to get away to what almost comes off sometimes as 
uh, mystical, but yet it's set in reality uh, town that, like you said, like an Italian like vacation uh, that just feels like it is something that is so far away, but is still obtainable. I, I just feel like yeah, that he was so able to transport us there into that world through his music. I mean, I just started imagining myself like on the Almafi Almafi coast. Like the town looks like it is on that part of Italy, and I was thinking about Tenen all the scenes that they had on the Amalfi uh, I was just waiting for the protagonist to show up. <laughs> and Elizabeth DeBecky's long legs. I just needed those two and I would have been in a whole different world. <laughs> and Kenneth Branagh's horrible accent. <laughs> that too. It's crazy, it's crazy boat scene is happening off, off camera. <laughs> I would totally be down for him getting recognition because I still think he was robbed for Wendy favorite score of last year i 100% agree with you so upsetting but yeah i think like you said transporting is the perfect word it just envelops you in this new environment that luke and alberto are exploring and it's so light and playful but it really accentuates the emotional beats well as well too um and i just you know i found it so fun and i've already been listening to it nonstop ever since the film ended and yeah, I just think it's it's definitely one of Pixar's standout scores for me. And if, you know, Soul could sweep last year, this at the very least deserves some nomination recognition this year. I mean, if you are a Pixar film and you don't have a memorable score, I think you are messing up considerably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I liked the score. I don't know if I'm necessarily as high on it as uh, you all are. It's very good. And I think that it does set like a very warm mood to it. Like it was definitely something I enjoyed listening to. I don't know if for me personally, it had as much staying power. I think it's one of those things that I think works very well within the context of the film, but I, I don't know. I think just personal taste, it just didn't really hit me in a way that I would like be listening to it later, but for the way that it works within the film and setting up the tone, it, it's very, very effective. And then the other thing too, is what do you guys think of the animation for the movie? Because quite frankly, it was a little startling to me at first that we are so many years removed from finding Nemo, which for its time had really incredible water animation effects. And then you fast forward to something like uh, Toy Story 4, which really blew my mind in terms of its realism of animation in a human world. And I'm watching Luca in these opening scenes underwater, and I genuinely thought that the animation looked really flat, and the uh, creature design and everything else just seemed very... um, I don't want to say cartoony, because it is a cartoon, so that's like kind of odd, but it, it lacked the level of realism especially in something like soul with its lighting effects it almost feels like there's like two different animation teams working simultaneously at pixar one team's working on this film while the other team's working on this film and it feels like luca didn't get the team that worked on movies like uh like like so you know like soul for example so i do think it gets better when they get to the surface when you do see the Italian uh, island and, you know, everything else in, uh, up in, like, the trees, the sun, everything like that, I thought all of that looked really good. But I don't know. What did, what did you guys think? Because I really wasn't fully blown away as I've been in the past by some of the animation here. Well, first off, I think I would say that it probably 
for you doesn't look as great in the beginning because it's all underwater and trying to create depth underwater is always difficult. And I think that when they get into... But Finding Nemo looks amazing. Yeah, well, Finding Nemo, the whole movie takes place underwater. So you kind of do have to put in maybe that little extra effort, essentially. So, I mean, I can understand it, but I think that the fact that the town looking better might be an intentional choice. And I think speaking to attention, like, yes, the designs of this movie are meant to be a little bit more exaggerated. There's kind of a fairy tale aspect to it with involving, you know, sea creatures changing into human form. Like already that's sort of fairy tale like and the setting itself. It's not it's like not quite the past, but not quite the present either. So it's in this sort of weird in between time that's like not really defined, but it also sort of works with, again, the tone of the movie. And I think that this is an animation style that this director likes. It's very similar to the short film that he made uh, a couple years ago. So yes, it's not the most realistic and it's definitely not as polished as you have seen in other Pixar movies. But I think for the type of story that they're going for, and especially, as I've said, this is much more aimed at like younger audiences. I think that more, cartoonish style, for lack of a better word, works more for this story. I was just thinking the same exact thing. Like, I was wondering, is the cartoon aspect the more, I don't know, like the, the softer, the puffier faces and all that, all that stuff, like, is that all just because it's more geared toward the um, the children that are watching this movie? Maybe so. Um, I just, I do love when they get out of the water. I think any aspects or I'm sorry anytime they get close to water they get wet and like their scales come back I love I always love that animation yeah part of it like I think sure the colors are stunning in those moments and like the way the scales kind of like flip up or flip down I feel like that were were some of the better animated moments for me yeah having especially the rain take place during the final uh racing mm-hmm. scene oh. Really good storytelling yes. there um, and definitely some good animation effects, I felt like, during that sequence as well. I definitely agree. I, I think that uh, with um, I think that this style fit the story really well. And I would say there were parts in Soul where I didn't really, I mean, I wasn't that high on Soul, spoiler alert, but I feel like once they kind of got out of the spirit world, some of the hyper-realism of, like, the real world kind of lost me and I didn't really feel as, you know, wrapped up in the magic of the story as some others did. Whereas here, I always felt that it was, you know, this really fun fable. It was this cute design, kind of quirky looking characters. I like stuff that sometimes isn't exactly modeled after, you know, the things we see every single day. I kind of like that they're putting their own spin on how these characters would look or these settings and all that. So like I said earlier, with kind of the size of Pixar stories, I also appreciate kind of when they vary their style so we don't have every movie looking the same. All right. So for final thoughts on Luca, Josh Parm, passing it over to you first. Uh, I think Luca is it's a good movie. I, I and I think I have communicated that I do like the film. And <laughs> when I think about the reasons why I'm not like fully into it and not loving it, I kind of come to a like a lot of little things within the story that I just don't want to like do a laundry list of, but it it kind of boils down to this idea of setup and payoff to me, where I think there are some things in the movie that 
are kind of set up and then they are very quickly resolved. Like the whole thing with Luca sneaking off to go to the surface and like putting up this fake version of himself to look after the, the fish, like that gets set up and then resolved with the parents like five minutes later. And it seems like that would be a pretty big thing that it just happens like all within five minutes in the first act. And so there's stuff like that that feels very rushed. And then there's other things that are brought up that doesn't feel like it has a great resolution to it. And I think it's like, for me, when I add up all those things, it points to something in the storytelling that I think lacks a certain bit of concentrated nuance to it. And not that every movie has to be so complicated, but every movie and every story, I think, has to have a flow to it. And there are parts in Luca within the storytelling that doesn't quite gel that well for me. And it feels a little disjointed. I think overall it's a good experience and I enjoyed my time watching it, but there are kind of moments within the story that I found myself kind of getting off track and not really connecting with it as much as I wanted to. And that's why I like the movie, but it does leave something to be desired for me in terms of making it a great one. Okay. All right. Zach. I totally see um, the complaints that the stories, you know, slider than Pixar's usual or a bit smaller stakes. But for me, I'm a huge fan of these slice of life movies that really put character and motion above plot. So I was totally in the bag for Luca from the beginning. And I think that the subtext will continually be something that I revisit because it just resonated with me so much. And I kind of like that you know, the majority of what the story is trying to say is below the surface, like you said, pun not intended. Um, and I just think, you know, the comedy is so charming. I love the animation style. I think it's just such a warm and welcoming movie. And even though it may not be as emotionally or thematically complex as some of Pixar's best, I think it's still one of the most emotionally affecting. And it's definitely one of my favorites they've put out in recent years. All right. Emma? Um, I will repeat a lot of what has already been said already. Um, yeah, it's not one of the top tier Pixar movies that you think about and you know that they are capable of doing, but it still has an effect on you. I mean, you still are captivated by the vibrant and beautiful colors in this, as we've already talked about, the the friendship, the the relationships going on in the movies, whatever they may be, and just the the fun of like a, a summer, a week in Italy with two friends. Like who does not want that after the year that we have just all lived through? Um, I still wish that there was a little bit more from the story. The emotional moments absolutely sold me on it though. So I kind of wish that they had leaned in a little bit more but then I guess we would have been going into the dark and heavier and uh, other Pixar territory that they know they can do, um, but maybe they did not want to do for this movie. So I don't know what the what the secret would have been to making this a little bit more, um, not interesting, but a little bit more relatable to the older audiences. I'm not sure what that might be. But it's still something that you can go in, you can totally enjoy a cute light movie. Um, I like that it's available on Disney Plus for everyone to watch. I, I do wish that it was on in theaters, too. I would love to see this like on the big screen and really see those colors pop even more and hear the splashes of the water, like all the stuff that I know that a theater experience would amplify. So I'm a little disappointed that they 
they don't have that going on with this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely disappointing, and it's something that I know that they recently said is not going to be um, an issue for their future films. Apparently, they're going to be, uh, I think, going back to theaters now uh, much more consistently than they were before. So... Uh, one one thing I want to draw attention to that we didn't mention is um, the character of uh, Ur- Ercole. Um, I thought was a very effective antagonist. I don't want to say a great antagonist because I do feel that that character was missing just a little bit of depth and complexity to make them more uh, relatable in their motivations because ultimately their character just really boils down to a hateful bully representing as uh julia says the evil empire of injustice (laughs) (laughs) but i think that for a movie that is about fear of the unknown and these characters looking for acceptance within society as we mentioned before whether that's uh gay subtext or if that's uh for an immigrant story or whatever it is um, having that kind of a character makes complete and total sense. And for this to be about children, having that character be this uh, bully character type, if you will, I think also fits in with the type of storytelling that they were going for. I just wish there was maybe just a little bit of extra context added to that character um, so that his motivations just weren't just boiled down to bullies, bad Injustice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's all. I mean, he's basically like a more weasley version of Gaston. <laughs> like, it's sort of a sense <laughs> uh, Before Gaston hit the gym, this is what he looked like. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and I agree that I think his motivations, they're fine for the movie, but again, they do lack a certain complexity and nuance to them. And I think it would have been interesting to kind of have a juxtaposition of, like, and I guess they do a little bit, but maybe to prod it just deeper as to like how his reign of terror essentially is really only for the kids. And he has like no respect from any of the adults in the town. Um, yeah. But we basically basically just keep it with the kids. And I think on the one hand, I understand that from a storytelling perspective, because that's what they're aiming at. But I do think you lose a little bit of complexity with that character. But for the story that they're telling it, it serves uh, its purpose, I think. Yeah, completely. A couple of little things here. Um, I I laughed when uh, he was asking his uh, grandmother, Luca, a a question. He's like, Grandma, did you really go up to... And the grandmother makes like a gargling sleep noise. (laughs) 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 And there were were a few funny moments in this movie, and that was definitely uh, one of them for me. Some more of the humor came from uh, Machiavelli, the suspicious uh, cat that uh, is always... (laughs) hard-eyeing Luca and Alberto. <laughs> I just really liked the animation of this cat uh, quite quite much and had a lot of fun with it. I love the moment when they are playing soccer, or the parents are playing soccer, and um, the little goalkeeper has to like cross himself to prepare for Maya Rudolph's <laughs> character hitting the that soccer was ball. That was, a cute, that was a cute sequence, yeah. too, trying to see... Who is their son? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, this is also like kind of where maybe the realism factor part gets in the way a little bit for me. And yes, I should let it go because it's a kid's movie. But I'm watching that scene and all I'm seeing are two adults abusing a bunch of kids, <laughs> pushing them into the water, like throwing them around, like over their heads and stuff. And I'm just like, yo, like. Somebody call the cops. <laughs> Please. Well, and then also, like, 
if they find him, okay, great, you found your kid. You've also now exposed him to the entire town that he's a sea monster. Like, what's your plan <laughs> <Yeah>. after that? <laughs> yep. Uh, the other the other moment in the movie that also just kind of made me go, oh, wait a minute. Uh, maybe they should have thought this through was when Julia's um, one-armed uh, huge uh, father is chopping up the fish and he serves them uh, food. And I was just like, is this cannibalism? <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought he was they were he was going to serve them fish and I was like, can they do it? No, it's like it's like a pasta. They make they make a point to say that's pasta, but it, I was wondering is there like chopped up pieces of fish in that pasta? <laughs> I do not know, but the thought did cross my mind. Even them helping him fish was already like, I mean, is that ethical for them? <laughs> it seems like right? they would want to keep the fish in the oceans. I I don't know. That that's one of those things where it's like it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but you have to remember, like, you kind of do the hand wavy thing of, well, don't think about it too much. I don't think it's meant to be thought of in those terms. I don't know Although, if those were sardines or anchovies, but maybe sea monsters just have a vendetta against them anyway. So yeah, there, there might be a, a, a class a class discrepancy with uh, different types of fish in the ocean. Who perhaps, knows? Perhaps. I do remember actually that um, his <laughs> uncle. When he came up to the, he was in the family underwater. He did eat a fish, the Sasha Baron Cohen uh, cameo character. So maybe there's like certain fish that are okay to eat that are, yeah, the lesser fish. <laughs> the other thing too that I also liked as far as a laugh moment was I like when Luca uh, burps and then he suddenly feels better when he's on the bike and he has like a, just this light bulb moment of like, oh, <laughs> like, like it's the first time he's ever experienced that before. <laughs> <laughs> Just a very relatable uh, human moment there that I really liked. Um, the learning uh, how to walk scene on the surface of the beach reminded me so much of The Little Mermaid as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then as a final note, um, I, do, I don't want to give away spoilers here, but the uh, two older women uh, revealing themselves to the town at the end, uh, I thought was a very, very nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also further <laughs> was like evidence of the kind of, I think queer reading of the movie. The fact that it was two yeah. old women. It, that yes. was when it's like, okay, now you, I really cannot like not exactly. think about this right now. Yeah. <laughs> which which makes once again the uh, shoot down, if you will, of any theories that people have about reading into this con uh, into this subtext. It's like, why 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 not just leave it open to the interpretation? Why why go out of your way to, to say? And and all I can think of is that it's a. PR move from the mouse house machine and that's very frustrating in a lot of ways because it's it's there it's so there like how can you tell me that it's not there yeah I, I, I agree I mean there's also another line where somebody makes uh, mention of Luca and basically said yeah you know not everybody will accept him but he'll find the ones yeah. that will and that was yeah was like, oh, okay totally. come on Come yeah. on. Or when he's asking Julia, does your school take all kinds of people? Like, mm. yeah, there's so many moments in this. Come on. Like, don't don't sit there and tell me that it's not there. Like, no one's putting you up to this unless somebody is. <laughs> <laughs> My, the gay I agenda. Guess, I guess they just, like, they're, they're like, we will make it explicit will explicitly state that this isn't the movie that people want or think it is, i.e. like a movie about two, you know, queer boys finding each other. Um, And so they're like, if we say it out there, then the conservative viewers who might be angry about this, they'll still watch it because we said 
that it wasn't there and then they can just interpret it as a friendship versus anything more i don't know what they're thinking is with it it's really annoying that they're even bother yeah having to say anything like we said like just let it be open and let people find themselves in it or just take it at the surface level like it's it doesn't have to be this whole thing every single time nope with that said uh first time i saw this film i gave it a seven out of ten initially but on a repeat viewing i actually bumped it up to a light eight out of ten because uh the themes definitely resonated more strongly the emotional highs were higher and I had a better time with it than I even had with it the first time, if I'm being completely honest with you. So I'm going with a soft 8 out of 10, but I really do like this film quite a bit. Zach, what about you? I'm currently at a 9 out of 10. I think that it may just be, you know, the heights of my first viewing, but I'm going to watch it again this weekend, too, and I'm super excited, and I just think, you know, that the themes are really going to stick with me and that there's something about this story that just feels so special. Emma? I am going to give it a 6 out of 10. Um, just wish that the story was a little bit more um, put together, a little bit more nuanced. Uh, not really sure how they could have done it, but that's where I'm currently at. Josh? Uh, I'm going to be a 7 out of 10. I liked it. I didn't love it, but it is definitely an enjoyable movie that uh, people should see, especially since it's on Disney Plus right now. I was not expecting Emma and Josh to flip scores. I wasn't expecting that either. What the I, heck, I wasn't, yeah. Emma, you, <laughs> I was like genuinely shocked when you said six. I'm like, did she misspeak? Maybe my ranking of a six is entirely different than the whole world's ranking. Perhaps perhaps I too am at a seven. Maybe I'm at a ten. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're just a harsh grader. I don't know. I guess so. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little too harsh for this movie. I, I'm a six or a seven. How about, how about we say that? <laughs> All right. Well, in terms of the film's awards potential, um, I know we touched upon Dan Romer earlier. I know a lot of us want to see him get a nomination at some point. I don't think it is going to happen for this. However, I do think that this film automatically has a slot for it in Best Animated Feature because that's just the type of world we live in. Disney Pixar has a stronghold over the animation branch, and it is what it is, whether you think the film is deserving or not. The question is more so, can it win? I don't know. I don't think so, if I'm being honest. I wouldn't say it's win-worthy. You know, not my personal feelings aside, just kind of based on what the Academy will be looking at at the end of the year. I think that you know, obviously, like some others have mentioned, Flea will definitely be a wild card coming from Neon at the end of the year. Um, and that can play in a lot of categories, which could perhaps, you know, help with the visibility in a way that, you know, a non-Pixar Disney movie normally doesn't receive. I think the Mitchells versus the Machines is still a really strong contender that was really well received at the start of the year. And I also think that uh, Encanto also from Disney might, you know, be some in-house competition because that's got Lin-Manuel Miranda's music who will also be still hot on the end of the year with them heights and tick, tick, boom. So he'll be doing a lot of publicity for that. And I think it, it'll definitely probably get that nomination spot, like you said, but there's a lot of other promising titles coming up. Yeah, this is such a strong field for animation this year compared to last year that I do not think that uh, Pixar is going to cakewalk to this like they did with Soul last year. I don't totally think so either. Think. Yeah, I mean, it, there is a lot of potential this year it remains to be seen whether or not that will be fulfilled but there's potential in not only uh disney pixar not just having a 
you know, stronghold on this category from the very beginning, but that there is variety in like the studios that have these very interesting animated movies. And it might not just be the big corporation. You know, there's some indie our uh, flair out this year that might potentially do better than we normally get. And that would be exciting too. So I'm, I do agree that Luca is probably guaranteed a slot just because it is Pixar and they rarely miss like, you know, winning is a one thing, but nomination, they're almost always guaranteed. But I'm curious to see what the season will bring in terms of who actually does end up winning, because there's a lot of potential there. Um, I mean, also seeing like Wolfwalkers last year that got like this huge momentum push, like like you said, Josh, like seeing what other indie contenders are out there, like who knows what else might be inspired out there. So I, I don't know. I feel like Luca might entirely miss out on the nomination maybe not um i just know that like the response to the mitchells versus the machines was i feel a lot stronger than this one and from us on who were on that podcast um and also the just film twitter and critics and all that stuff so i feel like uh luca won't be there but who knows i guess who knows what the rest of the year may bring my uh final question is how would you feel if the movie did win uh, I know that's tough to say because we don't really know the full scope of the competition right now, but... Yeah, I mean, having seen Flea, uh, I would be rather upset <laughs> if Flea lost to Luca, because um, I do think Flea is a much better movie, but uh, I would get it because a lot of times, especially in categories like animated feature, the General Academy just goes for the one that they've heard about the most and has the biggest profile, and usually that is Pixar, and... I wouldn't like I wouldn't be upset. I would understand it, but I would I mean already with the limited animated movies I've seen, I know that there are better options and I would be a a little disappointed if given the potential as I said for something more interesting and daring for a choice that they would default to Pixar once again. Because I love Toy Story 4 and Soul for that matter, but even I have to admit that I can understand why there are people who are very frustrated that other studios are not being given a fair shake. And I do think a lot of it boils down to what you just said there, Josh. It comes down to exposure. And when you are a small studio competing with a big fish, no pun intended, sorry, lots of puns this uh, <laughs> episode, uh, like Disney, I, 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 once again, it's like I understand that doesn't mean that the frustration goes away, though, because we understand how it happened. And I do think that we should demand and we deserve uh, better. We deserve for all contenders to be considered uh, equally. Yeah, I would say I would definitely enjoy this win a lot more than their past two, which I thought were, you know, my hot take highly undeserving. But like, I thought it was so exciting, for instance, when Missing Link won at the Golden Globes that year. It was, like, so out of left field. It was, like, fifth seed on Gold Derby. And it was, so like, <laughs> like it was finally getting that recognition. And that was something I think that a lot of people felt excited about, even if that movie wasn't their favorite. It was just so, you know, revolutionary to see another studio in the spotlight. So I totally get, even though I love Luca, I would also definitely be open to kind of seeing another film take the reins in the race this year, just to, you know, give somebody else a chance and show that there's more out there in animation than just Disney and Pixar. 
now watch it be a Disney film that beats uh, the Pixar yeah. film for best animated feature. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, that'll do it for our review of Luca here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham, tell them where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Emma Sasek. You can find me on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek and Letterbox at Emma Sasek. Zach Gilbert. You can find me at Twitter at Zach B. Gilbert or on Letterbox as Zach Gilbert. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.